Welcome to episode 22 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. And today our special guest is Blue Jays analyst Joe Siddle, which is very exciting. Uh, I'm not sure if exciting is the right word to describe what's been happening to the Blue Jays lately. It's definitely been eventful. So Stoughton, what is your feeling on a week where many events happened? <laughs> it absolutely was eventful, obviously. Um, I, you know, my overall feeling is uh, there, there. You know, this is the this is the ebb. I think right. This is uh, they can't keep losing games. They can't keep losing players. Um, but uh, but they're still a very good team in a very good spot, right? I mean, I think I, I sort of focused last. In, I wrote a piece after. Uh, Thursday night's game and and did the the scoreboard watching bit and you know the Yankees have a tough schedule right like the Yankees have the Red Sox the Jays and the Rays so the fact that the Jays have the Twins the Yankees and the Orioles over that span uh, that that's sort of where I'm hanging my hat right now that's what that's that's the comfort uh, because the last couple of games obviously have not been very good yeah it's you know at at some point you're gonna lose two games in a row and I know that feels worse to Blue Jays fans because they haven't seen it in quite a while. And I know there's some other factors too, like the suspension to Baraki and Montoyo. And we, at time of recording, have a little bit of uncertainty surrounding Lourdes Gurriel Jr. after Randall Grichuk absolutely stomped on his hand, um, which which was just a, I don't know, an encapsulation of the Randall Grichuk experience (laughs) this year. Uh, Just not only self-sabotage, but team sabotage. Uh, that, That said... I think you're right. The, you know, the Blue Jays aren't in a bad spot because they're only game back of the Yankees as we're recording today, and they have a much easier schedule, and they have a chance to, you know, to beat the Yankees three times. Now they don't they won't necessarily need that. And if this weekend could go in such a way that they only need to win one of those three games, really. Mm-hmm. Uh and we don't know that yet. But we talked about this, I think we've talked about the last two episodes, that this could all kind of come down to one series, which seems absurd for an 162-game season. But that's what happens when you're this close. And you could argue the Blues aren't this close to the Yankees in terms of how well they've actually played. But are the wins and losses are on the board, and that's the reality right now. It's going to come down to this Yankee series. It's going to be incredibly tense. Uh, and incredibly nerve-wracking for a lot of people. It's but basically it's also a playoff exciting. series, yeah. It is, yeah. It yeah. is. A, it is a playoff series, and it's not unthinkable that we're looking at a game one sixty three. So all that's all that stuff is on the table. It is still. It's easy to forget that this is supposed to be the good part, uh, and this is a bad <laughs> sure part is. of the good part. But this is still the good part. Like it, it's exciting to see the team be there and have the stakes be these this high. And, uh, you know, we've talked about trying to enjoy the moment before. This is a moment where it feels a little bit harder to do that, but that doesn't mean it's not a worthwhile venture. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, uh, it, it's going to, it's going to get weirder from here. So, so strap in basically, (laughs) right? Like, uh, you know, it's all in front of them though, with the twins, right? That's the, that's the frustrating bit. I mean, Michael Pineda is pretty good, but also, you know, you score two runs on 11 hits and, and a bunch of walks on Thursday night. Not a great way to start. <laughs> Obviously, uh, the pitching needs to be better than that, but that was a, you know, that, you know Steven Matz has, has had a couple not great starts in his last three. Uh, you got so much out of him in the second half that, that uh, you know, anything he can give you at this point is gravy, but also, you know, given what happened in, in Tampa on Wednesday, Really needed more length out of him, uh, so that was tough. And and and, and you know, 
it, it uh, th- I think that having Ray and uh, Manoa and Barrios going in the three, not in that order, in the, the three games in Minnesota should uh, should do a lot to to help this feel a lot better because those guys are obviously uh, even Ray when he wasn't at his best in his last start uh, is on his way to perhaps a Cy Young, and that's uh, that's super cool and very awesome and. Uh, and should should help them right the ship against a very bad Minnesota team. That's that, that's well, very bad is maybe a stretch. They're almost they're tired. Normal like, bad. Yeah, Normal they're just bad. bad. They can hit a bit. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, getting Garver to, back <laughs> makes a difference. Like, yeah, yeah they home can runs hit. to Nick Gordon. Maybe not uh, not the greatest thing with their with their dog shit change up. Mm-hmm. Julian Merriweather throwing him just. Not a great that pitch. is one of the worst pitches I've seen in a long time. <laughs> like a, a changeup right at the top of a strike zone, right in the middle. And this is from a guy who's got a 97 mile an hour fastball that would actually look pretty good in that spot. But it, you know, uh, it w- uh, he, that tough. is that's been weird, and that's been a thing. And we'll talk to to Joe about uh, this a little bit about you know how the relievers, uh, where the bullpen is. But you know the spoiler the alert, not yeah. good, <laughs> not in a good for, spot. For much of the season, right, was you know Merriweather and Pearson come back at the end, and then there's two power arms at the back of the bullpen that you know will gradually and maybe even rapidly work their way into high leverage spots because they're just they're so good that the talent is just is, is just there and it has not happened. And you know, Pearson again, we would we'll, we'll, spoiler again, you know, Pearson maybe tipping his pitches was a thing, and hopefully that if, if that filtered down to the team, that's something that you know. Uh, maybe that clears up some of his troubles, but uh, but I mean, command has been an issue for him too, and Merriweather just hasn't been uh, the guy that he was at the start of the year. So that is uh, that's leaving them thin, uh, and <laughs> they have a guy who presumably here on Thursday or on Friday, uh, uh, Baraki's going to drop his appeal and uh, and sit for the next three games. So they're going to have to play a man short. Well, we got uh, my boy it, Anthony Castro though, so it's good. <laughs> this is true. He's back. Uh, don't have Thomas Hatch now apparently, which. Uh, that was another tough aspect of Thursday's game. Uh, clearly not himself, just Buck and Dan, the whole, you know, his whole outing being like, something ain't right here until he finally, uh, finally admitted that it was hamstring tightness, which seemed odd to me. I wouldn't, I would not have guessed that, you know, never, never a good idea to guess what an injury is, I suppose. But uh, that, <laughs> that came out of nowhere for me, which is good news if that's really what that is. Uh uh, in the sense that it's not, you know, an arm or an elbow or a shoulder or anything like that. But uh, yeah, that was that was tough. But I think the the, the term was flush it. Uh, I think that's what you got to do. You just uh, put that one behind you and go beat a Twins team that is beatable. Because we only do this podcast on a weekly basis right now, plans could change if the Blue Jays make a big playoff run. Mm-hmm. Um we need to relitigate a little bit of what happened this week because <laughs> because uh, a lot of things happen, and that that starts with the Kevin Kiermeyer uh, card swipe, which it's interesting because I was listening to Effectively Wild, which is sort of my favorite MLB wide podcast, mm-hmm. and I think that the view kind of thirty thousand feet up around the league is that this is kind of a funny, silly thing. And I think that the view closer to Blue Jays land is that, you know, Kiermaier is a nasty character and this is cheating. And the truth, as is often the case, may lie a little bit in between. Like, there's a little bit of maliciousness here in the sense that you can let that go. Like, you can slide into the plate and just walk back to your dugout. That's an option that you have. 
And I thought the broadcast was very funny watching it. Ha- you could see it happen in real time. Like he slides, he gets <laughs> yeah. up and he kind of stares at it. And those big eyes and, you know, Kevin Kiermaier, great eyes, you know, some of the best eyes wow. in baseball. No doubt. No doubt. So, well, he, so wouldn't ste- he wouldn't step on Lord Gurriel's, uh No, I tell you that much. Absolutely not. Well, I was actually talking about his eyes from an aesthetic point of view. I understand that. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm so they- comparing, I'm comparing him just to the handsome <laughs> Randall as well. Yeah, those are two handsome men. Uh, anyway, so he, he, his eyes kind of light up. And, you know, his explanation after is, is very funny because he said he didn't really know what it was. But you can tell, like you can look at his eyes and tell that he knows yeah. exactly what it was. So where do you land with the like, is it right or wrong? For me, it was more his explanation that was kind of absurd that I took some umbrage with because it seems like an opportunity. And uh, we talk with Joe about this a little later, an opportunity to just say like no comment or whatever. But he seemed to straddle the I didn't know what was going on and the well, it's September. I'm not going to give it back, which just seemed <laughs> very bizarre. So where do you kind of land with the Kiermaier? And we're going to we're going to go down the line and do this whole thing. But where do you land with sort of the Kiermaier part of it? Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think that that made it worse. Uh, I don't know if it made it worse in the Jays eyes like they we're clearly angered about this and, and, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I get that's their right. And I'm sure some were more angry than others. And, and that sort of played out, you know, among the general populace as well. Uh, I'm on the, I'm on the less angry side of it. I do, I do think it, it was funny. And, and I also come down on the side of like, you know, if you got it, you got to secure your, your shit. If you're the blue Jays, like you can't just leave that line on the field. Um, so I, I think I feel the more egregious error was on their part than his. And I, I, you know, uh, I don't know sport, like the whole sportsmanship question is such a, a, a not, well, I was gonna say boring, but it's, it's not boring. It's just, I don't know. People get so wound up about, about what is proper sportsmanship and the unwritten rules and all that stuff. And it's like, I, I don't know, man, like, like all, most people would have probably taken that piece of paper and, and I don't have a problem with him doing it. Like, I don't see it as theft or, or, you know, some of the heavy words that people have put on it. Um, but yeah, the, the fact that the fact that he reacted to it so strangely, uh, Definitely, I think changed it, changed it, and changed like how you think that he felt about it. Like if he didn't think it was a big deal, he would have just uh, said nothing or <laughs> said it's not a big deal, uh, or not taken it. But he clearly did think it was a big deal. So that sort of uh, maybe colors what people should think about uh, Kiermaier in that situation. But you know, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's such a stupid flap, and then to to retaliate is stupid uh, on top of stupid. Yeah, so the next part of the story is the them asking for it back with a bat boy or ball boy, supposedly. People very upset about that. Which, I mean, that seems stupid. Because what are the chances that the Rays are going to give it to that person, right? Like, if you, if I don't know, if Charlie Montoya marches over there, maybe something, there's a different outcome. I don't know if there would be, but there's no way they're going to respect a bat person, uh, and like a young bat person be like, oh, you're right, child. Uh, let us give up this advantage to you. That wasn't going to happen. 
No, and then, I, I, I just I feel that's probably to you know it, it's less inflammatory to be like the Bat Boy can go over there as opposed to like if Charlie's wa- like like storming across the field to the opposing dugout. But if they uh, felt tempers, so, tempers can flare at that point. Yeah, but if they felt as strongly about it as they claim to have felt about it in the aftermath, then that does seem like a more reasonable reaction, no? Like if this is so important and you do think it is so, um, yeah, talk to the umpire at least. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's another way. Anyway, so that part was silly, and then there's the Montoyo and Cash kind of laughing it at, up at batting practice the next day. I don't know. I think the people are sort of primed to be anti-Montoyo at this point. Um, Many that's are, the yes. rea- That's the reality of sort of the Blue Jays fan base. So that got a big reaction. I understand that. We don't 100% know what's going on there. And I, I think it's unfair to go too deep on that. To I think that people who want to be mad about that are people who are already inclined to be anti-Montoyo in the first place and like I'm not the biggest pro-Montoyo guy but I don't know if that's the worst thing he's ever done is like share a laugh for which we have no context <laughs> with a good friend yeah I I, I I saw somebody with there was an angle where it was like oh it looked like it was a little more heated maybe than than just the laughter and like yeah there there, there is no context for that conversation at all and um that that was barely even on my radar. You know, I don't. I, I try. I, I I don't succeed at tuning out some of the weird Montoya opinions that people have. But that was one I've I've tried to <laughs> to just not engage with because uh, to me it's uh, there are there are definitely things to dislike about the way the Blue Jays are run under the management of Charlie Montoya. Uh, but uh, yeah, that I I don't I don't get some of that stuff and some of the oh too soft stuff. People love you know. Uh, the, the love fest for Pete Walker, uh, who uh, Pete Walker's awesome. No, no problem loving Pete, but it's like to to contrast it with Charlie constantly uh, is is odd to me uh, in many ways. Uh, yeah, I don't know many fan bases who are super psyched about their pitching coach getting tossed. The way, <laughs> like if there's a, a power ranking of fan bases that love seeing their pitching coach get tossed, Blue Jays are hard number one. Like I, I don't know I, who I don't I know who else that. is in the picture. But yeah, it's there's definitely there's definitely like backup quarterback syndrome going on all over the place with like the way people think about the Jays and their coaches, and it's just like oh, you know, for some reason, uh, that's just how that's just how fan bases react to things sometimes like that. Uh, but I, I don't know, trying to trying to like <laughs> trying to engage with it as though it's anything more than just like people venting is uh, is probably not the best idea. Yeah, I mean, like you said, there's a backup quarterback thing. I think that applies to John Schneider. Like, yeah, I don't think sure. that his the game he managed on Thursday indicates like, wow, he's a tactical genius. I don't think it indicates he's an idiot either. I think it was, you know, it was fine. I think uh, it was very similarly managed because yeah. I think a lot of stuff is is game planned out beforehand and and talked about from above. And and uh, you know, I think that that the role of the manager that people have in their heads is like the little tyrant field general is. Uh, inaccurate and then that causes you know dissonance between like what they see and what they think the manager should be doing also put as simply as possible i think the role of the manager people have in their head or i don't know their avatar of what a perfect manager looks like is gibby because i think that blue jays fans uh a lot of this fan base is relatively not 
over not in the baseball world in the blue jay right. fan world to be clear i don't think the baseball is holding up gibby as a perfect manager but i think that a lot of blue jays fans are relatively new to the team because they came aboard in 15 16 that is not a criticism to be clear mm-hmm. that is more of in my opinion a fact and even ones who came on earlier like gibby was the formative manager for people who started watching this team in the sort of mid 2000s and ones who started watching it in the 2015-2016 run. So they expect this, yeah, this emotion, the firebrand label, the getting ejected, like that's all part of their mental heuristic for what a manager is. And Montoyo isn't that. And that, and like I said, like I've been critical of the tactical side in the past. I continue to be critical. Um, However, I think that a big part of the sort of blowback that Montoyo gets, which in my view, although some of it could be considered deserved, is disproportional to what he does, comes from the fact that so many Blue Jays fans' image of a manager is someone who is just kind of different from Montoyo in every way you can imagine. <laughs> and Gibby was awesome. And you know, there's no there's no there's no shame and nothing wrong with being like, yeah, Gibby was awesome. Uh that's not the job that Montoyo has been asked to do, I think, is something that people forget sometimes, right? I mean, the, that's why the Jays and, and Gibbons parted ways. They wanted a guy who, you know, the, a lot of it was was at the time talked about, you know, being uh, about, oh, you know, no, we need him to know the minor leagues up and down and, and understand, you know, more of the roster than just his guys. But I think obviously we've seen in time that, you know, Charlie do is is there to keep the vibes loose and that you know and and going out and shouting at the umpires all the time is maybe not the best way to do that like I think that that's you know part I don't know if that's like a directive from above I think it's probably more that that's you know part an aspect of his personality that the Blue Jays valued and is why he's there in part you know I don't think that they want and think that it's good for you know the 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 pulse of the team to be you know, just aggrieved all the time. Uh, but, you know, that's it's. It, I think you're absolutely right. You know, Gibby looms large over this franchise, as he should, because, again, he's awesome. Uh, but I do think it's also ironic that, like, especially in the first tenure and a little bit in the second, I mean, people, you know, the people did not like John Gibbons for so long, and it is so strange. It's almost more strange than the Anthopolis thing where he, you know, turned it around. Uh, and and obviously is you know became the sainted uh, Canadian boy after like years of, of of people just sort of sneering about uh, payroll parameters and and all the the failures of the trades and all that uh, you know Gibby people when he fought Ted Lilly like people are like this crazy hothead I can't believe that that they would have this and now and now it's like yeah Pete Walker finally some emotion <laughs> and it, it's so strange how it has you know, the perception of what is acceptable and should be the way things work sort of uh changes to reflect what you know whatever people want to 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 put out there in the world you know if charlie charlie's too soft gibby was too 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 hot-headed uh and it can just flip like it's the you know the the earth's magnetic field right it's just it's very strange i think sometimes but that's again that's sort of the that's that's sort of how fan bases work i guess i i i am trying to be uh reasonable about that because it's very easy to like sort of argue against ghosts uh, on this kind of stuff but uh but yeah it's strange to me that a lot of the stuff that people didn't like about Gibby and and, and didn't like thought he was dumb because he didn't because he talked with a drawl I remember that was a conversation for a while uh, I remember Wilner sort of banging his head on that uh topic you know on Jay's talk you know 15 years ago or whatever um 
and I, you know, and I, and now people think Charlie's stupid and Gibby was great. And, and people think that the hotheadedness was too much. And now they're like, well, you got to be more hotheaded. And it's just, I don't know. Uh, having observed it all for so long, it, it's funny to me, but also frustrating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I liked Gibby a lot as a person. Like I had a bit of a personal relationship with him. I was around the team, uh, you know, kind of every day from 2017 to 2018, like, uh, I have nothing but good things to say about Gibby. However, there's not a lot of evidence to suggest that yelling at people and getting thrown out of the games correlates with wins. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, he and, did that a lot in losing seasons too. Yeah, yeah and, and <laughs> like, I don't know. It, again, I would rather the, the discourse around Charlie kind of stick to more or less the in-game decisions. And I know, like you mentioned, that's not exclusively him, but also the buck kind of stops with him too. So I'd rather have those debates because if you're talking about him as a person, at the end of the day, there's a pretty good argument to be made that he does create a good atmosphere and that the players do like him and that he has held together a team under difficult circumstances. Like I think if we're talking strictly about his personality, there's more positives to be gleaned. And it's all a very subjective area. But if we're going to just talk about Mon- Charlie Montoyo, the person and his vibe and his level of emotion and things like that, I think there's more evidence to suggest that it's been a positive than a negative, which is why sometimes this conversation is puzzling to me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Before we get to Joe, we've got to touch a little bit on the suspension to the Ryan Baraki thing, the beaning. I have a feeling you and I are fairly aligned on this. I know that there are some big debates to be had in baseball in terms of what is part of the game, what is not part of the game. Uh, the Baraki three game suspension. The thing that I always find silly about these suspensions is that, you know, three games of Ryan Baraki is not that significant, even you know, <laughs> to him too. Also, it's weird that he appealed it because he's not going to win the appeal. So he should have just taken it. And then one of the days would have been a day that he probably wouldn't have pitched anyway. Anyway, well, I think that I think they needed him for Thursday night, which they yeah, ended up doing because he because he did not pitch many pitches. Uh, though I, I guess he kind of did, but he was at least it was, you know, he wasn't on uh, he was on back to back days, but uh, he was available to pitch, and I think they needed that. Yeah, I, uh, I guess you're right there. Any, anyway, but like you see with starters too, where they appeal and then they make a start. That whole thing is yeah. weird. It just seems to me that if you want to say. Throwing at people is unacceptable. That's not part of baseball anymore. It might have been a time when it was, but it isn't anymore. And that's a fair stance for MLB to take. Then the suspensions need to be bigger. And if your stance is, you know what? There's a code associated with this game. It is steeped in tradition. It is a way that the players police themselves. I don't know if I fully agree with that. In fact, I'd say I'd probably disagree with that. But if that's your stance then don't suspend people. And it seems like we get a bunch of soft suspensions that don't send any kind of message. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right on that. It's it's pretty toothless, especially, you know, starters, you know, what, what do they get, six games, and then they appeal until there's a an off day to make it as, as painless as possible, uh, which is, you know, that's uh, obviously, you know, I think that's collectively bargained. You need the, the, the right to appeal a suspension. That's That's fair. But yeah, it's. I think you need to uh, need to have longer suspension. Like I don't think Ryan Barucki should have the book thrown at him uh, because it was you know it was it's stupid. But I, as much as I you know don't like that aspect of the baseball culture, uh, you know it's not a huge deal. 
as long as no one has gotten hurt, I think it's real dumb, but I don't want, I, you know, I do not equate it to like assault or anything crazy like that. Right. But it, it's, uh, but, but if you want guys to stop doing it, yeah, you need to suspend them for longer and have more, you know, more teeth to the suspensions. You have to make it actually hurt. And, you know, that's what the message the league is sending is that they don't care. And I guess that's okay. But it's also very strange to me uh, because, you know, guys throw harder and harder than ever. And you're hitting someone in the ribs. You, you know, if Kevin Kiermaier gets, you know, cracks his rib and is, is ineffective through the rest of the year and, and in the playoffs, like that's a huge thing to the Rays franchise. Like that should, you know, it's dangerous enough up there. Like I, I, I'm surprised that the league doesn't, uh, doesn't do more to protect the players because they just have so much value to those franchises. You know, I'm sure that their their calculations are not based on you know any sort of human aspect of like of thinking about people. It's probably but but I feel the business argument should win them over, and the fact that it doesn't is strange. But that's I mean I guess that's just how ingrained this stuff is. Yeah, it seems to me that the message they're sending is we're going to try and convince the public that we're against this but realistically guys we 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 get it we're cool it's not that big a deal it's like they're they're yeah. trying to say one thing to the public and one, another thing to the players and that's fine and a lot of the you know the viewers of the sport are casual enough or not interested enough to really think about that in depth and that's going to work for a lot of their audience but it, you know it's disingenuous and shitty in my view and, uh, you know, a lot of things MLB does are disingenuous and shitty uh, the more you think about them. So perhaps that shouldn't come as a surprise. Yeah, no, I think you're I think you're bang on. All right. Let's uh, let's go to our interview with Joe Siddle now. Very excited to get a chance to speak with the Blue Jays analyst who is providing great insights on the broadcast on a nightly basis. We are excited to be joined by Blue Jays analyst Joe Siddle, who you guys are watching on the broadcast every night. Uh, I'm not going to force Joe to be immodest, but I think that there's a bit of a notion <laughs> flying around Blue Jays land that, that maybe your game has come up a little bit this year. I think there's the Q scores up, the approval rating, whatever metric you want to use. So I want I wanted to start with that and ask if you feel like there's anything different that's happening on your end with your process this year, or you feel like it's just kind of you know gaining experience, gaining gaining steam, and doing the same old thing. Well, I think experience helps in anything, right? And I'm sure you guys would admit the the jobs you do. You gain more experience, you you feel more comfortable, and I think especially in what I do, you're on camera and talking. You're not just behind a mic. And I remember. I, I still look back to my four years on radio with Jerry Howarth. That was probably the best training ground in the world for what I'm doing now because on radio, I was able to you know, analyze baseball, provide insight and all, but I could be flipping pages in my scorebook. I could be looking at different pitches. I could be, it wasn't as time sensitive as we are on TV. I could 
talk about an at bat and then let Jerry call a pitch and it was much more laid back sort of thing, almost like you could put your feet up and talk baseball, whereas now a camera presence is important. Uh, the camera itself is important. So yeah, I think gaining that experience, it takes time. I, I'm sure I was pretty rough early on. But in terms of actual insight, I just, I really feel like I've got to be myself. And if I see stuff I don't like, I have to say it, whether it's pro Blue Jays, anti Blue Jays, I, I've got people sometimes saying, this is ridiculous. You know, we're, you're a Blue Jays broadcaster. Well, I'm sorry, I'm a baseball analyst and I'm analyzing a baseball game. So if it's against the Blue Jays, I'm not a cheerleader. I, I hope the Blue Jays win. I'm sure like everybody wants the Blue Jays to win. It makes it more fun for everyone and us included. But when they go on a losing streak and they're not pitching well and they're not hitting well, I have to talk about it. I have to say why. If I don't like the way a catcher's blocking balls in the dirt, I'm going to give my opinion. One thing I really don't like is, is the term old school because I've often said it's not old school, it's baseball. Like things haven't changed and we can probably argue a lot of points metrics wise and all these other things. And I, I try to do my homework by talking to major league coaches around the league who I know from past years, what is going on in the game today in terms of how they evaluate things because I am far removed. I'm not there anymore. And I'm not, I'm around the team now that the Blue Jays are in Toronto a little bit, but I'm not going to be people's best friends because if I've got to criticize somebody on the air, I'm not going to come down and pat them on the back tomorrow and say, hey, how are you doing today? Well, that's pretty hard to do, right? So I'm, I played with Charlie Montoya. He's an old teammate of mine. I, I, would, are we friends? I mean, we haven't kept in touch over the years, but I, I consider him a friend, sure. But that doesn't mean I can't criticize the Blue Jays manager for some moves that I don't like. I have to do my job, and I am most comfortable doing that being myself. I think that's something that people appreciate about you because I think fairly or unfairly, there's the whole Sportsnet owning or Rogers owning the Blue Jays and Sportsnet. Sure. So there's this assumption that Sportsnet coverage is sometimes going to be friendlier. And when you bring those kind of honest, you know, sometimes hard hitting takes, I think that that's something that people, um, they really identify with. And another thing that, um, that I think has been a big part of your appeal in this year and all the times you've been with the Blue Jays is the observations you make. And so one that uh, was kind of big on Twitter the other day was the Nate Pearson with, okay, we think Nate Pearson is tipping his pitches. And I thought that was a cool observation because it's something, you know, I wouldn't have noticed with relatively untrained eyes. I think a lot of fans wouldn't have noticed. I was hoping you could kind of take us through how you make that observation and then how that becomes television in such a short period of time. Well, the, the key what you just said is in such a short period of time, I'd have to go back and look when I, when I noticed it, but I believe we already had our fourth inning update hit ready to go. So it must have been like, I have to go back in the game, but it must have been the third or something. But we had already done something, and it might have been, it was, in the, it was probably in the fourth, and I remember I was literally looking at my book. I looked up. I watched him throw a pitch. I watched him throw another pitch, and I saw him come set, and I saw some movement here. And I wasn't looking for anything. I was watching the game just like you guys would on TV on our monitor. And I just saw that and I just went, hmm, that was interesting. I'll have to see if he does that next pitch. And he didn't. And it was a fastball. And then I watched a couple more pitches. So I watched four and five and six. I watched more and more pitches. Now, again, we're getting close to our fourth inning update. So I was like, well, wait a minute here. And I turned to Jamie. I said, watch this. And he, and he loves that stuff. I mean, he loves just like what you just said, when I come up with something that's kind of outlandish, that's out there that most people won't see. And that's why he was like, oh, we got to do this. I said, absolutely, no problem. So of course we've got great editors upstairs. They're going to town, they're getting all these pitches. So we did a lot in probably five or 10 minutes to get that put together for our fourth inning hit. It came together fast. And that's why 
I have to credit all the people I work with. Like these people make us look really good. The shots they get. The one thing with that one was when it's a lot of minutia like that, it's a, it was a subtle move, as you guys said. And that's why I have to say that it's something I, I, I see that it could be. I may be reading into it, but it's something that I may have seen. So I don't know if he is. I don't know if the hitters knew what was coming. It's hard to say, but when I watch swings and approaches that kind of I can marry with the certain pitch, I was like, okay, something could be up here. So it all happened very fast. And we, we don't have a lot of time in our little fourth and eighth inning updates. There, so it, it kind of had to be quick. It, could it be something that I spent more time? Yes, but I didn't really want to the next day revisit something, break it all down. If it's, I'm not positive, right? It's just something that I saw on a whim. And I thought it was something that was very interesting to share with our audience. And obviously it was. So that stuff's great. I, I, I love the game within the game. I love pitch sequencing and how catchers call games. And, and I, I'll be honest with you, I, you guys know I wasn't much of a hitter. I, didn't, I wasn't good at finding, uh, watching t- uh, pitchers tip pitches. But I came up with the Expos with Larry Walker and Moises Alou and those guys my first couple times up in the big leagues. Those guys were artists at it. They were phenomenal at it. They would point stuff out and I'd be like, Oh my God. And I'm not saying I would have been a better hitter if I knew when pitchers were tipping, I wouldn't have been, but it it was amazing to watch that stuff. And then as you may or may not know, I spent 12 years with the Detroit Tigers after my career. And I just helped them with batting practice because I lived in Windsor. But when you spend 12 years in a batting cage with Magli Ordonez, Miguel Cabrera, Pudge Rodriguez, the list goes on and on. You learn a lot. And I think I've learned more about hitting after my career than I ever knew during my career. And it sounds funny, but it's so true. So true. And then my, I had a son that played professionally and he really studied the hitting thing and he's done now. He got released after playing in double A, but he knows hitting inside and out way more than I do. I talk to him before I do some of my demos. That's how much feedback I get, but it's, it is sounds funny to say that I learned way more about hitting after my career than I did during it. Well, Joe, I think we could go through the broadcast X's and O's all day. I know I personally would appreciate that, but there's been so much going on with the Blue Jays this week, and I, I think people want to hear your take on it. I thought we could maybe go sort of step-by-step, step, a little bit chronologically, and get your thoughts on it, starting with, you know, the Kiermaier, you know, the card gate, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think on the broadcast, you expressed that as a ball player, you know, you're going to pick up that card. How do you feel about how Kumar handled that situation and some of the things that he said afterwards, which were sort of intentionally vague? We'll put it that yeah. Way. Well, it was a sneaky, shady move by Kumar. Well, I think we can all admit to that one. I'm not saying he did the, the right thing, but to go so far as cheating, stealing and all that, that's where I just thought, well, wait a minute. I might be a little biased in this, guys, because you know how I do feel about wristbands on catchers' wrists to help them call a game. Uh, and I just touched on it briefly, and I won't go into it long again. But I just, yeah, I just, the whole technology thing is wonderful in our game. Please don't get me wrong. But I, I think you do all that. And I just, I would love the day, and I know it's never going to happen now, that we just play the game at seven o'clock with, without everything and just go play. And, you know, that's not going to happen. We know that. But so I'm probably a little biased in the fact that. If you've got information, and here I go again with a take against the Blue Jays, but it's how I feel. If you've got state secrets on that thing that you don't ever want anybody to have, then you better secure that thing, and you better have three rolls of duct tape around it so it doesn't fall out. If you were to – I don't know what I would do if I was Kevin Kiermaier. I don't know if any big league player right now knows what they would do if they were Kevin Kiermaier. I think it was just a reaction. I mean, if you slide into home, 
and you see that thing sitting there and you look at it, you could see the whole, he looked, he's like, oh, he probably saw his own name. He's like, oh, I can grab this. It was shady, especially the way he handed it off to his coaches and then denied everything. Now, if, if he would have just denied an interview the next day, it would have been a lot better. Like if I do something like that, I'm not talking to media about it the next day. I would just say, I got no comment on that. But the way he did it, yeah. And I think that's probably what angered the Blue Jays more and more and more. The flip side is, I don't know that any, let's say Randall Grichik did that, slid in, there's a card there, he picks it up and he goes over the dugout and Randall Grichik did everything Kevin Kiermaier did. I don't doubt a lot of Blue Jays fans might have thought, oh, that was cool, man. No way. They stole their stuff. <laughs> Very crafty, so, yeah. I, I really do think it's a little bit of this home team bias that we have. But I, if I'm managing and that happened, and that was a really important card, I think Arash reported that a Blue Jays source said is, if there's one thing you don't want to get the other team in the hands of, it's this. Well, if it's that important, I am busting over to that dugout right now and going to get that card. I'll be doing it myself. I'll walk right by the home plate umpire, especially if I'm buddies with Kevin Cash, and say, something fell out, they got it, I want it back. And you address it right then. So the fact that they didn't, come on, what's on there? I mean, state secrets, sure, but I think you know if it's pitch sequencing, you change your sequences. If it's big intellectual properties, like if Kevin Kiermeyer saw his name and it says, oh, he'll expand late, you can bury the slider with two strikes, or he's a first pitch swing, all these different things. And, and I know there's probably more in-depth information, but if you've got all more in-depth information like that on a wristband, wow. Like that, I, that's just, I, I don't think there's a whole lot. If I'm a hitter, if I'm Nelson Cruz, or if I'm Manuel Margot and I know how the Blue Jays probably are going to pitch to me and my weaknesses. And then I see something else on that card that I might be, okay, so they think this about me. Like I will chase high with two strikes. Okay, well, he probably knows that about himself anyway. And this is the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, there's 30-something games over 500. Do you really think they need more information? So I, anyway, I thought it was honestly, and that's why I think I used the word comical to start. I thought the whole thing was kind of silly. And that's why I'm not drilling Kevin Kiermeyer. And, you know, I guess... I'm not one that's against that stuff and we can debate that all we want. But if I got a, if I'm managing a team and somebody takes out Marcus Simeon and it's dirty, I'm going to, I'm going to get retribution. That's just the way I feel to play the game over somebody picking up a card at home plate. Like I really thought it was comical. I did. So you touched on sort of some of the aftermath. I want to circle back on a couple of the points. One of them was interesting to me is sort of, like you said, getting that card back. So reportedly they send like a bat boy to get it, which doesn't <laughs> seem like a great tactic. And it seems like a weird message too. And then I'm, I'm wondering how you feel about the next day. And, you know, this is one of those things going around Twitter and you never know what's being said unless you're on the field. So I don't want to make too much of it, but sort of people saw Charlie Montoya and Kevin Cass kind of yucking it up the next day. Do you think that there's any problem in that, in the message you're sending, if you're saying this is a big deal, but also we're buddies? And I know that there's a difference between personal relationships and the game, but what do you, how do you, what do you make of that disconnect? Okay. If I got a major problem with another manager, I am not going to be discussing it on the field where there are cameras and everybody around. I will be meeting him in the tunnel that leads between my clubhouse and his clubhouse. And Charlie knows that place really well. And let's meet in a tunnel and talk, especially when we're friends. And I'll get in his grill and tell him what happened and how angry I am. And that's how you handle that. You do it behind closed doors. Now, in saying all that, maybe they did. Maybe when Charlie met 
Kevin back there. That wasn't their first meeting. Maybe it was a bit of a hello, revisit, what at, whatever. But maybe the, the meat and potatoes was done. I sure hope so. Because of, it sounded like the Blue Jays had a real problem, number one, with him taking the card, and number two, with the way he talked and reacted and kind of put it in your face after. The other thing is with how he – I know a lot of people are angry with the way he commented out, well, if you took something like that, what are you going to say? Yep, I got it. I picked it up. They're not getting it. Well, no, you're going to lie to the media, just like Ryan Barucki lied to the media when he didn't – the ball slipped out of his hand. I mean – and I know he can't, you can't say that you drill somebody on purpose because you'll get even worse suspension. But I mean, I don't know, maybe if you, this has never happened before, but maybe if you pick up somebody's scattering report and say, yeah, I saw the report. I knew it was ours. I knew it was theirs and it was about us. And I picked it up. Well, maybe you could get suspended for that. So don't, I mean, this whole lying to the media, I mean, guys do it all the time. Yeah, that's nothing new. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And the, so the final piece of the puzzle is the suspension. So you mentioned that this is probably something you wouldn't, want to see someone throw at someone for uh, and that's something more dangerous maybe but like the Marcus Semien example you brought up someone sliding hard into second base what in your view kind of falls under the category of things where that retribution is you know something that is conceivable and potentially justified and what falls outside of the realm of that of okay let's just leave it alone and let's move on well, one is an, an egregious act where maybe you're trying to hurt one of my players, like a dirty slide. Um, we see base runners at second base all the time, peeking in, trying to get signs. If I have a problem with that, or oftentimes your cameras will catch it. I love this when you, when you see a runner on first base, because this has happened for 100 years too. You see a runner on first base and the camera gets right on his eyes and you just see the eyes peel over. He's trying to see the catcher signs. So if he sees a breaking ball, it might be a pitch to run on. You'll see that on occasion. So if I feel like that, or if I'm catching and the, the hitter's kind of peeking back or something, I'm going to address the problem first. So if I see a guy at second base that's being an idiot and he's doing stuff, trying to relay signs, I'll take a trip to the mound and say, hey, you got him? You got the signs right? Because somebody's going to go down if you don't. So at least you address it with that person first. And that's why I wish they would have addressed the problem first. So I think it's something like that where it's, where it's more egregious. I don't think picking up that card and... I, like I, I thought it was really petty. And then if you're, if you're going to do it, I thought when Baraki did it was the perfect time, but my goodness, you're in a pennant race with 10 days to go. And now he pitches and he's going to get suspended. You've got a bullpen that you don't want to be short anywhere right now, let alone your bullpen or your bench. So bad timing, do it next year. Remember what the Texas Rangers did to Jose Bautista? They waited, right? Like just, I don't know, bad timing. I don't want to say bad optics because you can agree or disagree whether it should have happened, but, not a good time to stir any pots. You guys are trying to trying to get to the playoffs here. Before we let you go, I wanted to you know call on some of those powers of observation a little bit again. And one thing sure. that's sort of circulating with the Blue Jays right now is what we're seeing with George Springer. Like he he hasn't been himself since he's come back. He's been playing DH. You know, again to my eye, it looks like he's just really unable to drive the ball. I know then the recent games he had a couple balls he hit a little bit harder, but getting behind the ball has been a problem and he hasn't looked like the same guy. Like what do you see from a hitter like that who is maybe fighting himself physically? Oh, he's totally fighting himself physically. He's George Springer. He is a superstar guys. This guy is a superstar, but even when you're a superstar, if you're trying to hit on one leg, it's not easy. And who knows what his threshold of pain is or what he's feeling, but whether it's an ankle, a knee, a hip, a groin, 
anything, especially bottom half related as a hitter, it is going to impact you. And you can see him oftentimes with injuries of any sort, whether it's a pitcher in an arm or a hitter in his bottom half, you try to compensate and you can see him pulling off. And last night he came up with the bases loaded there and he's an aggressive hitter, like a lot of these Blue Jays hitters, but he swings at a breaking ball off the plate away. So you're trying to do too much and you're pulling off balls, popping balls up, rolling balls over the left side. I mean, he's doing all the things that scream at me that he's just not right and he's trying to overcompensate, not only physically, but then it becomes a mental thing because now you're struggling. So now you're three for your last whatever and you're trying to get three hits and one at bat. It's it's a classic batting slump, but it's very uncharacteristic of a star hitter like George Springer. So I would totally just... I, I just totally attribute this to he he's not right. And th- th- then it begs the question, should he be playing? And I would love to see him get in the outfield because if he gets in the outfield, hey, maybe that just changes your mindset, your tune. And those things can help. They, they can change your, your mental outlook and therefore help your physical performance too. But the next question is, he has to be honest with himself and with the Blue Jays. Should he be in the lineup? Do you drop him? I would say get him in the outfield. And if he can't play the outfield – and you're, you're still performing that way offensively, you, rather than drop him in the lineup, give him th- two or three days off. And I know that's the last thing you want to do right now, but it's he's not helping a whole lot in the condition that he's in. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think between being in the leadoff spot in front of all these guys that are so good and taking up a DH spot that prevents, you know, Kirk or someone from coming in, like that's a lot of, you know, harm being done to the team for lack of a better term. Uh, before we let you go, uh, you've already kind of espoused your beliefs and objectivity. So I'm going to ask you for an objective prediction. We're sitting at a mini lull, low point for the Blue Jays. Do the 2021 Blue Jays make the playoffs? One game I'm go- today. I'm saying yes. And the reason I'm saying yes is because this has been a roller coaster. And this team has been so frustrating at times. And it is right now because they're not hitting. But this team can go on a heater in a hurry. There are too many good hitters. Uh, you, you hope the injury isn't too bad to Guriel, and you hope Springer maybe can make somehow, uh, you know, this last week little comeback. But I think they can hit, and I think they will hit. And their starting pitching has kind of been their forte. Uh, you hope that Ryu maybe can contribute something. And I think it all just comes together enough to sneak in. And then who knows what can happen. But I, I making a deep run, it's going to be so tough because – you need more solid relievers, I think. You can't rely on Mays and Romano for everything. And even to say Simber and Richards are part of the four high-leverage guys, to me, try to fast-forward to mid-October and you're playing the Astros in an ALCS. I mean, you got Richards and Simber in the seventh and eighth and high-leverage. I'm not sure that's the ideal thing. But in saying all of that, every team has issues. Every team has issues, and once you get to the dance, anything can happen. But I think they're good enough to sneak in. It's going to be a great week. All right, there you have it. Joe, thanks so much for joining us and providing your insight uh, and your observations today. All right, guys, my pleasure.
All right, to wrap things up today, I think we got to talk about scoreboard watching because that's kind of where we're at. I mean, the Blue Jays are facing Minnesota. We talked about um, that last week because that's what they were also up against last week. There's not too much to touch on with Minnesota. They're shit. They can't pitch. Uh, (laughs) Mitch Garver is good, and he's going to help their lineup. We know they can hit some home runs. These games aren't gimmies. But they are games the Blue Jays should win if they're a playoff team. But the interesting thing now is all the scoreboard watching that goes on. We know we've been talking about this Yankees-Red Sox series for a while now. Somebody's got to lose. It's going to be good for the Blue Jays. And it seems like over time what's happened is it's really only good for the Blue Jays if the Yankees lose. Like yes. you, can, <laughs> you can sort of pencil the Red Sox into the playoffs now based on the schedule they have and the fact that they're up currently. So right now, you got to look at Red Sox wins as a positive for the Blue Jays. And that's, yeah, that's the angle. It's been simplified. The other options this weekend that I don't think people are thinking about are Astros over A's. And the reason I say that is, one, you kind of can take the A's out of the race if you don't think they are already. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is that you, if you want the Blue Jays to make the playoffs, you want the Rays to be motivated to play for wins at the end because their final series is with the Yankees. So mm-hmm. the Astros need to stay close to the Rays to make that happen. And right now they're close enough. The Rays are still going to be motivated to win these games. But if the Astros lose a bunch down the stretch and the Rays hit the Yankees at the end without any inclination to you know, use their best relievers, and they might give guys days off and stuff. Now, the Rays are so deep that they can win with their B team, and they're not going to necessarily roll over. However, there is something to that. The You want the Astros to win right now, keep the Rays in the mix, because it could come to a situation where the Blue Jays are maybe a game behind the Yankees going into their their series with Baltimore while New York faces the Rays. And if the Rays are going full tilt, that's still not the worst situation in the world, but you want the Rays to be going full, full tilt. Yeah, oh, absolutely, you do. Uh, also, it would be real cool if the Astros were to catch and pass the Rays for the for the lead in the AL, uh, which would, of course, mean that the winner of the wildcard games get, gets the Astros instead of the Rays, which, you know... Uh, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, that. exactly. Uh, it's People have asked me this. I've tweeted about it a couple of times. It's like, I don't know, it very, very quickly, I'm like, I would rather play the Astros than the Rays, uh, even though I'm not sure that that's like objectively the right answer you know if you take the 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 stupid fear of the trop out of it but the fear of the trop is there and it's just and also just not a fun ballpark to you know watch a game from or watch on tv and and just the stupid rays i've seen enough of that team <laughs> like i mean we're I'm, I'm sort of already putting the jays into the you know into the wild card game and then getting through it which is you know getting well ahead of myself but uh, but that's a thing to potentially watch as well. But I think, you know, obviously, like you say, the Rays are, are they're, they're comfortably ahead at the moment. Uh, and yeah, it would be good to, to, even if the Astros don't pass them, to keep it close, like you said. Yeah, I mean, playing the Astros, one thing the Blue Jays would get would be the, the advantage of the Crawford boxes with all their right-handed hitters. Uh, that could play out fairly well. The thing about the facing the Rays in the playoffs, and again, now we're... Not only are we putting the Blue Jays into the playoffs, we're putting them through the wild card. So <laughs> yeah. uh, you take that with a grain of salt. But the thing with the Rays, it feels a lot like the 2016 Indians where their starting pitching isn't actually that great. 
But when if you don't score by the fifth, sixth inning, you feel like you're in you're in trouble if you don't have yeah. that lead. And the Blue Jays aren't even great at holding leads. So they really need to jump out to beat this Rays team, I think. And that is that's a scary proposition. And the Astros don't have quite the same threat level with their bullpen. They've got all kinds of other threats. But yeah, I think you would rather see the Astros than the Rays. The last thing to touch on before we go here, because we're not we're gonna talk about the aftermath of this, but it is the Yankees series. Like we said before, this is what it might all come down to. Preliminary pitching matchups, uh, Mats versus Kluber, Barrios versus Cole, Ray versus Nestor Cortez Jr., a.k.a. Super Mario. Uh, better <laughs> option than Chris Pratt. I don't know who tweeted that, but it, it's definitely, you know, it's a no-brainer for me. Um, sure. You've really got the one, you know, that Ray game at the end. And these are preliminary. We know the teams move their starters around a little bit more these days, but... You have sort of the advantage in one of those games. Maybe you feel okay about Barrios Cole because Barrios has been so good. Matt's Kluber is a bit scary. Matt's a scary overall right now. Another thing to note is that the Yankees have Severino back, and yeah. he looks like a real weapon out of that bullpen. They continue to be a scary team. I think we've you know we've joked about them throughout the year at times because they've had their stumbles, but uh, you know. You don't want to be in a situation where your whole season comes down to winning a series against the Yankees. No, you really don't. You really don't. But uh, you know the they hopefully get their get themselves through this weekend in a better position than they are in right now, and that's 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 on the table with the the Twins, and you need help from the Red Sox, and then you know at least you know they are they're they are going to have a chance to uh, not even necessarily put the Yankees away, but stay but but stay above them and and do good things in that series. But it is going to be like a playoff series. It's like uh, the stakes do not get any higher than, than like that. The, the the teams are just so close right now. Um, and those, you know, those pitching matchups other than, other than the first one, I guess is uh, uh, it's going to be real fun. It's going to be real fun by which I mean, horrible, <laughs> agonizing, <laughs> gut wrenching, but uh, that's what we're here for. All right. Well, next time we've we've sort of touched on before, you know, what is it going to be like next time we talk? And next time we talk on this podcast, the world is going to look very different for the Blue Jays, for better or for worse. And we hope you will join us then. <laughs>